Oh God, uh, <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. We're back. New year, new resolutions, new hope. Yep, 2017 is going to be the year in which we're all going to forget about our past differences. We're going to work together for the betterment of mankind. We're going to turn away from the great... Wait, what? A 48-team World Cup, which will swell FIFA's coffers. Fake news by the book load. And the president-elect accused of the sort of stuff that would embarrass Red Fox. God rest his money soul. Ah, uh, well, it was nice while it all lasted. Here to talk about all of that and more is Paddy Higgs. Hello. And Daniel Isroff. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Both, of course, beloved members of the One Football Newsroom team. Tis good to have you back, lads. Any New Year's resolutions you'd like to share with us? It's a bit too late to ask about Christmas. That's why I'm asking about your uh, your New Year's resolutions. Don't really like New Year's resolutions, to be honest. I don't think anyone likes New Year's yeah. resolutions, actually. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't make them with any confidence. I want to build my record collection this year. But I, yeah. I, that's hardly life-defining, I yeah. would say. Oh, it might be, might end up being, but yeah. Nothing. You're still in the market for a vinyl player. I am, yeah. I, I, am, uh, I need to talk to Darren, my producer, about that a bit more, I think. Okay. Danny, nothing at all? No, I just hope we can get some more teams into the uh, World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned the World Cup, so on Tuesday, FIFA confirmed what we've already suspected, namely that the World Cup is going to be expanded to 48 teams from 32, beginning with the 2026 version. As Joshua Robinson, writing in the Wall Street Journal, pointed out, this is a tactic right out of Sepp Blatter's playbook. Like Blatter, Infantino knew that the key to securing votes from large blocks in Africa and Asia was offering wider access to the visibility and, of course, the prize money that comes with the World Cup. Now, how it will work will is that there will be 16 groups consisting of three teams, two of which will qualify for a knockout round of 32, and so on and so forth. A couple of things to say about this. If this format had been the case in 2014, the likes of Cuba, Cape Verde and the United United Arab Emirates would have made it to Brazil. One of the more interesting, and I'm sure incidental aspects of all of this, is that FIFA, which is a non-profit organisation, would generate a 10% increase in revenue and crucially their only costs would go up by 0-5%. to Now... Those are some of the basic facts that have come out over the last few days. Also coming out over the last few days is the support of Carlos Puyol, Maradona and Jose Mourinho for the idea. Are you as gung-ho as them, Paddy? No, no, not at all. Um, I think there's a few arguments that, I mean, this is such a convoluted um such a convoluted case. We've been paying attention to Twitter pretty closely the last couple of days. There have been some... Discussions on there that have perhaps tipped over into um, unfortunate territory. Um, for me, the main two points are the the format that will um, occur as a result of this 48-team um, World Cup, particularly the 16 groups of three. Um, my preference would much would would. My preference would be to have 12 groups of four. Um, I think that could still be sort of arranged in a different way. Um, the three teams really does make me a bit nervous, and I think it's going to it's going to not feel like a World Cup um, in that case. The second point that a lot of people are making are that you know this is providing access to parts of the world um, potentially that um, haven't been able to qualify or, or get within um, you know a, a reasonable distance of qualifying for the World Cup. Now, if that's the case, if there is this European bias, um, I mean you know I'm from Australia, we're, we're a country that struggled to make the World Cup for, for quite some time. Then let's look at the qualification process and, and the spots of, of these 32 already um, because I think uh, you can argue that 
you could probably take away uh, one or two spots from the European and, and South American conferences and open these up for Africa or Asia, or whoever is viewed to be lacking. And I think those are the two key points for me, and that's why 48 teams, um, for me, is not a good move. As it stands, Europe have 13 of the spots in a 32 World Cup. Yeah, which I think most can argue is perhaps one or two too many at least. No, I think it's about right. I mean, I think the 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 whole thing here is that it, it, it's worth having the debate because it's, it's close. I think it was very quickly dismissed um, by a lot of us and let's call it the liberal metropolitan elite of uh, football analysis were very quick to just say idiotic, corrupt idea when it's really not. There are lots of good things that are going to come mm-hmm. from this. Uh, the, the thing about more money that, that Ian was alluding to, it's genuinely good for a lot of associations who are going to see the, the, the fruits of this. Uh, and, and it's going to help them to develop their football uh, domestically and help their national team. So there are lots of benefits here. The The biggest thing for me is that the, the biggest disadvantage is that it strikes at the essence of what I think is the World Cup, which is that Agreed. it's a special event. Yeah. And and having uh, so many teams, having five or six games in a day uh, takes away from, from the specialness of it. Uh, you, you just every game doesn't feel you know th- that's the amazing thing about these major tournaments is everyone is up for every game everyone's watching every game uh, they're, they're, they're high quality teams they're close games and it makes it special and, and I just think that this will uh, will ultimately detract from that and that's why I would be against yeah, it yeah I mean well this will be almost a quarter of the teams eligible to make the World Cup now will be at the World Cup, which we saw with the quality um, and the dearth of quality at times during the Euros that expanded formats doesn't, just because there's more football doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing. Right, it's going to look, I think the comparison will be more like, say, the Europa League group stages sure. rather than the, the, yep. the Champions League knockout rounds. Uh, I'm in favour of it. Okay, please. Well, this is good. You've kept this, you know, I've under wraps. Kept, yeah. I've sort of kept this under wraps. <laughs> I, I, I'm very much of the sense that that the World Cup is is far too Eurocentric. Thirteen teams, uh, thirteen teams for a, a, an organization as small as as UEFA to me is is not right. I think there should be more global. It should be a fairer spread across the world, and maybe that's just the sort of liberal heart uh, in me. Um, that thinks that uh, like a, a continent the size of Africa should have better representation, which is currently, um, what does it get? No, it gets five teams now. So imagine, I, I completely agree with you. I think that there is, uh, it should be opened up more, but why not use these half spots a bit better? You know, um, if we took a oh, spot yeah. and a half off Europe, um, as it stands now, gave a half spot to, or one spot to Africa and another half spot to Asia, then it does open up a few more opportunities for these teams or for these countries to come in without expanding to a, a completely inflated 48 team. Right, I think the problem with that is politically it would have been very difficult. This was the easy, and that's the reason why it received so much unanimous support across the associations and the federations is because it's basically uh, a win-win for, for, for lots of places including Europe who will see more money themselves um, e- even if even if some of the associations were against it uh, the other big issue I have with it is that I think it is emblematic of uh, of this approach which sees FIFA um, prioritize politics and and money and instead of moving away from that direction but that's just it, one it, way of looking at it right you could also see that they're prioritizing African countries and Asian countries 
and and other countries that they're going to give these other these other spots. We can say you can look at it from a and I don't mean to be rude, but maybe a, a slightly more cynical angle and say, okay, yeah, that you know, okay, this is all about politics. This is all about Infantino it's, creating it's, a legacy. But it, it is all but, there. It, there is also a sort of noble element to it there but, in that they are expanding it and and taking it globally and giving these teams a chance. Right, but, I mean, sorry, no, one, no, no, one no, last point. Finish, finish, and, finish. and from Russia onwards, I think each team gets twelve million for just appearing in the World Cup. That is an ex- an extraordinary amount that could really boost football in countries that uh, you know currently don't have that amount of money. I mean, FIFA's mandate is to grow the game. Sure. By bringing it to you know more countries, right. they're doing what they're meant to do. Right. And ultimately, if the the end result does achieve that, I think that I, I have a real issue with the process by which this was done. Where where was the debate in FIFA? I mean. Uh, uh, how can it, it be? Uh, I, was, I was just no, but it wasn't. It was there was no. That, that's the thing. It was the, the, there was u- unanimous support. Uh, how does that happen? I mean, it just can't be that that so many in the media and 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 so many fans, definitely here in Europe, and I think uh, in some other places as well, were, were were against it, and at least were were trying to have the argument. And in FIFA, it was just blanket. You know, anyone who even even the European associations who who wouldn't benefit from it. Uh, only Germany spoke out publicly against it, um, uh, you know, and I, I cannot imagine that there weren't um, people within these associations who felt that this was a bad idea, but were afraid to speak up because they know it's going to pass sure. and they, they, they don't want to p- p- piss yeah. off Infantino. Yeah. And that, that's what I don't like about uh, uh, about the whole direction of, of um, FIFA under Infantino, to be honest. Can we go back to the group stages just for a second? It's a point I wanted to raise earlier. If you have three teams in each group is there not a sense that the teams can't play it safe and that you know it could lead to perhaps more attacking more adventurous no, football I, I think completely the opposite two mm-hmm. nil nil draws as long as the other teams don't have a score draw gives you an excellent chance of chance of going through yep. um, and I think we're not only going to see that we're, we're, we're going to see uh, because of the seeding and whatever some of the top teams in the world playing against some very very mediocre teams we're going to see lots of five nils, and the group and, and could just, be over after two. You know, j- just takes away from the whole, the whole event. I think the format's a, a disaster, personally. Yeah, agreed. Th- that dearth of quality really worries you. It does. I mean, uh, I think you know the, the Euros weren't that long ago, and and we loved seeing the likes of of Iceland. You know play above their, you know, purported station in football. And that will happen in a 48-team World Cup. No, you know, no, no debate about that. But we're also going to get um, a lot of games, as Danny compared it to quite rightly, to the early stages of the Europa League, where um, perhaps the only benefit is that we might be able to get tickets a bit more easier. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think, and it, it's difficult. I mean, that's the thing. There's a reason why sports tournaments all over the world are played in with with participants in multiples of four it's because it's very simple um you, you know it's been figured out that there, there can't be as much uh f- funny business going on and um yeah I, I don't know how well uh thought out the the, the whole format was in the end well let, we'll come back to the logistics in a moment uh, one of the more controversial aspects of this uh, proposal or rumored uh, rumored to be part of this proposal is that matches could be decided by penalty shootout yeah in the group stage group yeah, stages yeah. It's shocking no, and again, I think that's part of it for me, what I was talking about in the beginning. It takes away from, from, from how special this can be. I mean, it, that becomes a circus, uh, yeah. Penalty, yeah. penalties in the group stages. Mm. Um, it, I mean, we're, we're happy to accept it in knockout, competition, knockout parts of the stages. Why not in group stages? 
That's it. I mean, it's a, it is a relevant question. Yeah. I mean, are we just being stick well, in the mud? Why, not, why not have it in the league? I mean, yeah, you could have penalties all I mean, the time. In the, in the, yeah, we could just I guess, do penalties. I guess, it would be more exciting for <laughs> yeah. everyone. We don't even have to play the game. I, I guess, like I the guess early the league, days of the National <laughs> American Soccer yeah, League. Yeah, MLS. Yeah. We could do ice hockey penalties. Yeah. It would be even better. I guess the league is, is a slightly different format, but in a competition where there can be more in inverted commas, yeah, contrived it's, it's, results. It, again, it's uh, what I what I keep going on about. If if we have uh, 30 matches in a World Cup with penalties, then what makes the the, the actual penalties? You know the 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 tension. What makes what what creates that? Nothing. It's just uh, it's a. Uh, it also you know call, call me a traditionalist. It doesn't feel like a World Cup if that's no. to happen in my mind. No. Yeah, I mean the the, FIFA, the World Cup's always expanding. Yeah, that's fine. You know, yeah. it's it was you know it started off with thirteen teams, then went to twenty four, whatever it was, in eighty two. Now it's changed to thirty two. Right, which are makes we, sense. And are we gonna... just being a bit too? Are we just being a bit too conservative? About Potentially, it? yes. I mean, it's it's always difficult to see how this might this creature might evolve into something. And you know, in in by twenty twenty six or whenever we're, you know, whatever age we're at, then um, if the planet still exists in twenty twenty six, of course, of yeah. course. I mean, Big perhaps if. this turns into a masterstroke. You know, we we don't know. Um, all we can judge on is where we sit now, and and that's sort of where, where I'm drawing the line. And I think it'll move very quickly after this. I mean, assuming it's it, it's fine and whatever, it'll go to sixty four. You know, people will say. Uh, if it's a good tournament, people will say, oh, great, great, we can expand it again. And if it's not, people will say, oh, you know what, the format didn't work, let's go to 64. We're going to run out of countries um, at this no, rate. And, and, and that's the thing, I, I typically, I really, I don't Mars like... The Mars 11. I, I, don't like, <laughs> I don't like slippery slope arguments, but what happens when the next FIFA elections come around and some candidate comes up and says, oh, look, I can make even more money for everyone, expand, you know, take the World Cup to even more countries. Let's add, um, how's my math here, 16 more teams? Um, yeah, sixteen yeah. more teams, and uh, and we'll make the World Cup to sixty-four. And kind of where where does that end? Is my w- would be my question. My biggest worry is the logistics of holding these tournaments. Mm. Now, it's expensive enough for any country to hold it, but apparently, uh, people are suggesting that it the price of holding it could go up by ten percent. Because you obviously have a lot more people, yeah. uh, you have to build a lot more things. The amount of percent that FIFA could expect yeah, to make on their profits. Yeah, well. weird that. Yeah. Uh, right now, they're suggesting for 2026 that America, in a joint bid with say Canada or Mexico, yeah. that might be hard to get over that wall. Um, they're the only ones that could really do it at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I mean it really puts it, 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 it you know, it, it, it makes it harder to bring that to smaller countries. Or single countries. Or single yeah, countries, single yeah. Countries. There'll be a lot more joint bids, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, there's a certain amount of capacity this stadium has to have to host a World Cup game. And uh, for that amount of games in a lot of countries, it's really, that's going to be a struggle, absolutely. Not to mention the logistics and, and you know, how teams move around in, inside that country as well. So I think we'll probably see a lot more joint bids as we do for some of the smaller countries in, in the Euros. Which I think FIFA are just fine with. I mean, it means uh, taking taking the game to more places. It means m- more games in more countries. I, I don't think they'd have a problem, for example, with the Canada-US-Mexico World Cup at all. No, I think Infantino has actually come out and supported that right. O- right, already. Right. So that's that. Anybody want to add a final word? No. No? No. Should we move, should we move on? Or Danny, you look like you've got something to say. No, no, nothing. I mean, I think it's it, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see to see how it all works out. It is, indeed. So speaking of major tournaments, there's one getting underway this very weekend with the beginning of the biannual Africa Cup of Nations. The tournament kicks off with the host Gabon taking on Guinea-Bissau. Danny, you are particularly excited about this, are you not? Unlike 
Unlike many European fans who tend to see this tournament like an irritating stone in their shoe. Which is understandable, but no, I'm, uh, I'm very exciting. Very, very excited about the whole thing. I think it might be the, uh, the African in me. Okay. Um, yeah, I, w I was born there, and I just think the tournament's a, a, a bunch of fun. Okay. Well, let's start off. Well, maybe you could start off by breaking it down for those who aren't as familiar with it, the, the format of the tournament, and maybe move on to the teams to look out for. Right. So you have um, 16 teams in total qualify. There are 50 something associations 50, in. 52, I think, teams are eligible. Countries in in Africa, yeah. Um, so it's great. It's quite a difficult tournament to qualify, actually. Uh, Nigeria and South Africa are two of the, the biggest that miss out this time. Um, so you have 16 teams, four groups of four, none of this uh, groups of three or third place finisher nonsense <laughs> that, uh, that FIFA and UEFA go for these days. Um, very simple, top two teams qualify and then they play out from the, uh, from, from the quarterfinals. I thought you were going to move on to tell us what teams to look out for. Ah, teams to look out for, of yeah. course. Uh, so yeah, I think... The, Given that Nigeria and South Africa didn't make it. Didn't yeah. make it. Um, w w one of the very exciting things about this year's edition is I think it's as open a, an African Cup of Nations as we've seen in a, a long time. They're legitimately six or seven or even more teams who, who have a decent chance of making it. Um, I think Ivory Coast are probably the favourites. They're just very strong all the way through. And current and, uh, holders. The defending know. champions, of yeah. course. They beat, beat Ghana in penalties last time around. Um, uh, other teams that, that could win it, uh, Algeria have uh, ha have some very good players. Senegal, um, Egypt. Egypt are always very strong. Um, Ghana are there as well. And I think Gabon, um, the hosts with, uh, with Obama Yang, have a decent chance as well. Ghana are being managed by Avram Grant. Yes, this is true. And that's not going to scupper their chances, you say? Well, anything can happen in the mm -hmm. AFCON. I think that's that's part of the fun. It's actually, yeah, Avon Grant, I think his contract runs out at the end of this tournament and they haven't been in great form right. for the World Cup qualifiers. So um, the the feeling is that he's probably going to finish up at the end of this tournament. So it'll be interesting to see how that might affect uh, the team's chances. Uh, unless he wins. He's actually, he's been under a lot of pressure already. He's definitely not yeah. the most popular figure there in, yeah. uh, in Ghana. Senegal have a fantastic qualification record, 100%. They're the second favourite, I would imagine. Yeah, very strong team. Uh, they were the only team actually to win to win every game in, in qualifying. They have a nice um, uh, English-based midfield with Mohamed Diame, Idris Gueye, and uh, Cheku Kiate, and then uh, Sadio Mane, who's who's been in fantastic form for Liverpool. So, so I think they have every chance. They are in what you might call the group of death. It's got to be one. There's got to be one. It's got to be a death. group of death. Has, yeah. Well, this one, this one has Algeria, Tunisia, Senegal, and Zimbabwe. Three teams with, I would say, legitimate designs on on taking the total, the title even. Yeah, I think I think basically all the groups are are, are pretty tough, with the um, possible exception of Group A. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it, that's what I'm saying about the open field. It's it's you know, for, it wouldn't be surprising to see some of the teams that I mentioned knocked out in the in the group stages already. Okay, any. Any underdogs you'd like to suggest for it? Is Gabon maybe one of them? Yeah, Gabon definitely playing at home uh, always helps in, in international tournaments and AFCON is, is no exception. Um, they, they have possibly the best player in the tournament in, in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, they're in a weak group, so they, they could top that. And then from, from there, you never know. Uh, I think uh, a really left field pick would be uh, Zimbabwe, who aren't, aren't at this tournament very often. Um, but they have uh, some some very nice uh, talented attacking players, 
And uh, the the history shows. I mean, Zambia won the tournament. Burkina Faso were were in the finals. Um, it's really one of those tournaments where where the unexpected becomes uh, expected. With the likes of young, hungry, upcoming players like Asmo Gian and Emmanuel Adebayor on show, uh, will there be any other space for for players to shine? I was shocked, by the way, to find that Adam El- Emmanuel Adebayor Doesn't is still playing. No. He doesn't have a club, still plays. Yeah, why not? He's uh, he's having a good time. He, of course, was part of that Togo squad that was uh, shot in that, in that bus. And the, that's an awful story about the trainer dying in his arms. Mm. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that actually affected his career as well. I think it it certainly affected him personally, and I think I think yeah. he spoke he's spoken about that a few times. But uh, yeah, who who are the players to look out for, Danny? So I've picked out three. Um, Go for it. One is the young uh, Atalanta midfielder Franck Cassier, who's who's attracting interest from some of the top clubs in Europe. I don't know if you guys have got a a, a chance to see him play yet, but he's a real sort of all action midfielder who can do a bit of everything. Um, he's going to start in midfield for, for Ivory Coast. Surprisingly, I've been a bit too busy to be watching at Atlanta play recently. <laughs> but um, no, he's, he's, a, he's a great player. He can do a bit of everything. Uh, and I think he could really light up the tournament, especially if they, if they go on to win. Uh, the other is another Serie A midfielder. It's uh, Mario Lamina, who's um, at Juventus struggling to get games there. Obviously, they have a, a decent midfield at Juventus. Paddy is nodding sagely there. It's, it's like, I think he... Do you know who he is? Yeah, I do, I do yeah. know who he is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't yeah, know who he is yet. He's, um, <laughs> yeah, you've seen, I mean, he, he comes out with uh, some highlight wheels every now and again. Um, he, he's, he plays for Gabon. Um, so he, he's the one who will be providing uh, providing for, for Aubameyang. He's a very intelligent, sort of crafty um, crafty midfielder. And then the last one to continue the uh, left field theme is the uh, attacking midfielder, the playmaker for Zimbabwe. It's Kama Biliat. Um, this is very left. Yeah, that, that is a little bit above my it's knowledge. A, that's that's a, passed you by. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Um, but so see, he sort of uh, he had a phenomenal season. He plays at Mamelodi Sundowns, who uh, of course won the uh, African. Champions, of course, yeah. Who, who who made that fantastic run and won the uh, African Champions League? He we was, were just talking about that the other day, Paddy. Yeah, that's there right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he was uh, the, the best player in South Africa. Uh, I think voted the second best player in in the uh, whole of Africa this season. Um, again, just very clever, very full of tricks, uh, very crafty. And if Zimbabwe do make make a run, as I'm suggesting, they might. He he'll be the the man to lead it. Is it sort of excuse my ignorance here, but is it is this something that captures the the oh, imagination of the entire and, and continent? I know that's yeah. very hard to say given no, it, the, the scope it, it, it of is. the continent. It's it's, it's completely it's a, a a real party across the continent, even for for countries whose teams aren't playing. I mean, Africa is just in love with. With, with football and to see their own um, heroes competing, you know, European-based players, African-based players, uh, the excitement, the colours, the stories, the celebrations. It's its really fantastic for the whole continent. And yet there's a, there's a few teams who have been affected by player withdrawals. I think, you know, I think um, Cameroon in particular, we haven't actually mm. met them, but, um, sorry, mentioned them. Traditionally, obviously, a powerhouse of that confederation. Yeah, I think they were... But there's uh, seven players who have decided not to come. Even Senegal have lost a few in defence as a consequence, a couple of Bundesliga-based players. So, you know, I mean, that sort of conflicts a little bit with what you just said. Yeah, it does. I... I, I I think it's kind of disappointing, definitely for the fans, but um, but also just for the tournament as a whole. Uh, Any yeah. particular reason behind the Cameroon withdrawals? No, I think it's players just prioritizing their 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 yeah, careers good. over yeah. over their countries. I think the fact that Afcon is held every every two years has something to do yeah. with it as well. Uh, I think that kind of loses some of the shine for 
um, for some players. But yeah, it's 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 something that's happening more and more these yeah. days as more players move to Europe, and it's something they're going to have to look at. And I mean, you look at a guy like Joel Matip, who you know was obviously in the Bundesliga for for many many years, and traditionally he wouldn't miss that much football because obviously the Bundesliga was on its winter's break, but. Now he's at Liverpool. He will miss, you know, a number of games, important games. Liverpool are probably coming to a very, you know, integral part of their season, and they've decided to sort of stay as as a result. So I think that's probably along the lines of, you know, what was what Danny was saying then. Yeah. Uh, let's get a prediction from you, Danny. I want I want to know the two teams who are going to make the final. So I think Ivory Coast are going to repeat as champions. Uh, I think they're a phenomenally strong side right the way through. What about Zimbabwe? You've sort of convinced me about no, Zimbabwe. No, no. I, I think if they made the quarterfinals, that would be fantastic. Um, uh, and then I think Egypt—they've they, become quite of a quite a strong defensive side, sort of in, in contrast to what you think of hmm. uh, when, when you think of Egypt. And those teams typically do well. Uh, the, you, you see lots of sort of one-nil wins. They have some weapons in, you know, obviously Mohamed Salah. Um, and, and I think it'll be those two in the final. Ivory Coast to edge it with uh, with their quality. Okay, very good. What about my tip? Oh, yeah. I actually did some research. I told you this. <laughs> oh, you, you, you brought your notepad well, and everything. Which is a rarity, you know. I don't normally need this. The mic, the mic is yours, Paddy. Yeah. So, uh, for me, you mentioned Algeria before. Um, I think, you know, you've had, well, we actually haven't really gone through some of the players. They do have Mares and, and Slamani and guys Brazilian, like this. Yeah. Guys who we know from the Premier League. But also a fellow like um, Bentaleb, who's having a really mm. fine season mm-hmm. yeah. at, mm-hmm. at Schalke. Brahimi at Porto. They've, yeah. um, at least attacking-wise, they've got the ability to really... You know, set the tone um, for this tournament. So, actually, that would be my tip. Ivory Coast, of course, going to be very hard to beat as well. I really like Brahimi as a player. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. really yeah. nice to watch. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Now, this week saw Manchester United ease past Hull in the first leg of the EFL Cup semi-final, which should be good preparation for their big game this weekend, in which they welcome Liverpool to Old Trafford. On the line to talk about that is Nick Miller from The Guardian. Nick, Manchester United's performance during the week contained plenty of slick movement and passing, and United seemed to be purring at the moment. Were you impressed, or was the fact that it was against Hull, does that take it down a notch for you? Well, it takes it down a little bit of a notch. Um, but Hull actually went too bad, considering particularly considering how bad they've been in the league and, you know, they've got a new manager uh, who's still getting used to the players, etc. But um, this is this kind of thing has been sort of building for a little while for United. They've been gradually improving over the last couple of months. Um, they looked, as you said, there were some nice passing exchanges. They were quite fluent in an attack. And I think the important thing was that they really kind of attacked straight from the start. Obviously, they didn't... Um, didn't entirely convert that uh, into goals uh, not initially at least but that kind of was a symbol of the uh, the confidence that they have I think um, so yes they were uh, I think perhaps more relevant was the kind of the changes that um, Mourinho made to the team and the kind of and that they still kind of maintained the standard of performance that they have in, in recent games even though they, they did make quite a few changes so it's got a, got a lot of options at the moment as Mourinho yeah, it's, yeah, speaking of that, Sam, it's now nine wins on the bounce for Mourinho's side they've not lost since since November what, what's he done to change that, that ship around? I think one uh, matter said something the other day about the, the, the confidence building and obviously that's a kind of becoming a chicken and egg thing so you know they could be confident because they're winning or they could be winning because they're, they're confident um 
obviously a big thing is the number of attackers they they have in form. Start of the season, it was all a little bit sort of bitty and only you, you can only really rely on Ibrahimovic. But now they've got three, four, five attackers who are, who are really kind of clamouring to get into the team. I mean, I don't know if you've discussed this before, but, you know, he's still still not sure whether his treatment of Henrik Mkhitaryan at the start of the season is kind of a genius move in that he has inspired this his, his new run of form or it's just an irritating that he took him took Mourinho this long to put him in the team in the first place. Um, the other thing is that they're, 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 they've really tightened up at the back in those, the, those last nine games. They've only conceded three goals. Um, so, you know, even with even without uh, Eric Bay, they've uh, sort of tightened up at the back. And also, Michael Carrick coming into the team, he's sort of calming influence, and him sitting there has kind of allowed Paul Pogba to sort of play his natural game a little bit more. Where do you, where do you stand on the Mkhitaryan thing? Was it was it a a moment of inspired genius or two months moment of inspired genius by Mourinho? I re- I really don't know. I mean, it's 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 odd. He was just kind of this kind of disconsolate figure at the start of the season sort of moping around and didn't really know what um, what he <laughs> didn't look like he knew what he was doing there uh, I mean obviously Mkhitaryan has, uh, has said you know this was the right thing for Mourinho to do but you know then again he would say that there's no, there's no point in uh, no point in um, annoying the boss once you've got in the team uh, now, one of the more interesting stories emerging from United this week is that uh, Mourinho has had an open arms approach to Alex Ferguson. Um, you know, he's welcomed Ferguson onto the team bus to the training ground, went out of his way to wish him happy birthday. Do you think that this approach to Ferguson has in any way played into United's success of late? I'm not sure it, it was really had that much of an effect. As far as I know, he's kind of Ferguson is kind of around the team, but he doesn't really have any, um, didn't really offer any significant input. Mourinho has always been kind of very deferential to Ferguson, even before uh, arriving at United. So it's uh, kind of, it's not a massive surprise. He's been buttering him up a little bit more recently, but uh, I don't think it's uh, it's had a, a great impact on the team. I mean, if nothing else, there aren't. There were, uh, you know, a, a few of the players that were there when, um, when uh, Ferguson was in charge, but uh, sort of people, you know, people like Matter and, uh, and Mkhitaryan and Ibrahimovic weren't weren't around when uh, when Ferguson was manager. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. All right. Uh, I mean, getting back to the football, when Liverpool United met uh, earlier in this season, United. I mean, let's be let's be nice about it and say they took a defensive approach to the game, <laughs> which seems sensible given Liverpool's ability to score for fun. Are you expecting a more of the same from from United this time around, or, or will Mourinho revert to a, an attacking f- formation? I mean, I, I think it, it, Mourinho was kind of obviously he got a lot of criticism for how they approached the last game, but it was kind of a very sensible, kind of pragmatic approach. Liverpool were in a really good form. United were stodgy and terrible and hadn't really got going in the season, so it was uh, quite a, a sensible course of action to just try and kill that game. But United can sort of that they can play their own game a little bit more. They can dictate terms more, um, and he Mourinho doesn't have to be pragmatic. They could they've been sort of better, much better in attacking than in recent weeks. So I think they'll just play their own game without worrying too much about uh, about Liverpool. Okay, speaking of Liverpool, there's no Coutinho, there's no uh, there's no Mane. How are you expecting Klopp to to set up the side? Well, Coutinho might come back. I mean, he he, he was he came off the bench last night. I, Wonder, I doubt whether he'd start um, at the weekend. Mane is is obviously a big miss. I actually think 
possibly even um, <clears throat> more of a miss than that would be uh, was um, would be Jordan Henderson if he doesn't play. He didn't play in the uh, game against Southampton last night, and you could see he's turned into one of those players who's kind of uh, missed a lot more. Um, you, you you know you, you appreciate him a lot more when he's not there uh, because they were just so slow and ponderous in midfield with. Emery Chan and, uh, and and Lucas in there rather than Henderson. He's kind of yeah. He doesn't these days. He doesn't do anything particularly spectacular, but he he's very good at kind of getting rid of the ball quickly and starting attacks. Um, Liverpool have kind of broadly been fine without in the last sort of two months, six weeks since uh, Coutinho has been out. So um, while I don't think he'll start, I don't think that'll have a, a, an enormous impact on the uh, on, on how Liverpool approach the game. Nick, where do you see Liverpool at the moment? Um, it's sort of been talked about how crucial these next few games are. They've obviously got some some big teams um, in there looking ahead in the Premier League. Um, you know, United aren't making it any easier with their form at the moment. So where do you see Liverpool under and, and Klopp um, with his squad at the moment? I don't think that... The, 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 I think the squad is the, is the right word to use. I mean, I, uh, uh, as we've kind of seen with um, with... Henderson out last night. If they if if one or two kind of key players aren't there, then they do struggle quite a lot. I still think they need another central defender. So, um, and and even if you know if James Milner gets injured, then they've got to play a lot of Moreno. So, I think the squad is is the problem. The first team's kind of largely fine, but uh, um, they will struggle with their squad further on down the season I think I'm not sure that they're, I mean they're, obviously they're doing very well in the league at the moment second in the table but I don't think they quite have um, the players at the moment to carry it through uh, who knows you know that they, they could go on some kind of absurd run like they did under Rodgers a couple of seasons ago but um, yeah I don't think they quite have the strength and depth at the moment Can we get a prediction that you'll live to regret Nick before we let you go? Oh God! Uh, yes, well, I mean, obviously, everyone is uh, terrible at predictions. I think I think Liverpool are going to win. I think Liverpool are going to win two one. I haven't got a great deal of logic to back that up, but I'm going for it anyway. And Nick, just because I know you're super prepared, who's your tip for the um, the Afcon this year this year as well? Oh God, uh, <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. I'm, I'm afraid my 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 knowledge of that isn't what it could be. But, That's um, alright. No, no. Nigeria, right, Nick? <laughs> sure, yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> That was Nick Miller of The Guardian and elsewhere. Man United versus Liverpool is the one that gets your juices flowing. Danny, you're no, nodding, you're nodding me, appreciatively. For, for, for me, I, I think your question to Nick was the big one. It's This is where Mourinho has to earn his money because in the reverse fixture, he, he set out to get a draw. He's good at that. We know he's good at that. He's done it his whole career. But now they, they kind of have to try and win the game. They're at home. They, they need to make up ground on, on the rivals. And, and can Mourinho set up a team that's going to go out there and outplay Liverpool and get all three points. Can they, buddy? Yeah, I think maybe not outplay, um, but probably frustrate them to the point of being able to get a result out of this game. I, I really sort of hope that we start to see a little bit of an established rivalry between these two. Um, obviously, like you said, Liverpool, Man United, one of the great rivalries. And um, I think in recent years, it's probably underwhelmed to an extent. Yeah. But I think now with the clash of these two coaches and how they approach it, how the squads are coming together under them, um, I hope that this is the start of a, a beautiful rivalry for years to come. I mean, this the, the last game was awful. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was awful in terms of, 
I, I found it intriguing. Yeah, you know, I found yeah, it intriguing. Too. But it's, it was certainly not one um, for the part-time football fan, let's put it that way. The words shit on a stick have come <laughs> to mind. Okay, quick prediction from both of you before we wrap up. I think it'll be a draw. I think United will win. I think the absence of Mane and Coutinho's fitness questions are big. Yeah, I'm with Danny on that one. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy, Danny, Nick and our producer Damien. Wherever you are in the world, please go to your local iTunes store, give us a rating, leave a comment, let us know what you think of the pod. Thanks for listening. Listener.